Welcome to Nursing Education Insights, an Elsevier podcast for nursing instructors, keeping you in the know with the latest in the field as we talk with leading nursing education experts on the key issues that matter to you. In today's episode, we are overjoyed to have our host, Danielle Lacombe, engage with well-known Elsevier authors and nurse educators, Dr. Linda Silvestri and Dr. Angela Silvestri, to discuss their effective teaching methodologies they have implemented as they co-teach a medical surgical nursing course at University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Linda has been teaching nursing students at all levels of nursing education for many years. She is currently a nursing instructor for undergraduate and graduate courses at UNLV. She earned her PhD in nursing from UNLV and conducted research on self-efficacy and the predictors of NCLEX success, and her research findings are published in the Journal of Nursing Education and Practice. Linda has co-authored, along with Angela Silvestri and Donna Ignatovichis, Strategies for Student Success on the Next Generation NCLEX NGN Test Item, a textbook that will help students master NGN test-taking skills. Angela is a well-known nurse educator, scholar, and author, focusing her work on nursing education. She has been teaching and working in university administrative roles for the last 10 years at all levels of nursing education. She has experience teaching in both classroom and clinical settings and working with graduate students on their culminating projects and research dissertations. She is currently serving in a leadership role as the Associate Dean for Entry and Pre-Licensure Education at UNLV. It brings great pleasure to have both Linda and Angela Silvestri implore their wisdom on the future of nursing education and dive deeper into the strategies they use in their classroom to create capable, practice-ready nursing students. Welcome to Elsevier's Nursing Education Podcast. I'm your host, Daniela Comte, Senior Director of Product Marketing for Elsevier's Nursing and Health Professions Education Portfolio. Today, I am delighted to be joined by two recognized authors and preeminent experts in nursing education, specifically for their thought leadership and work to ensure that students are prepared for the NCLEX. And on a personal note, two of the most delightful people I have ever had the pleasure to work with over the past decade, Dr. Linda Silvestri and Dr. Angela Silvestri. Ladies, welcome and thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Thank you so much, Danielle. Thanks, Danielle. It's great to be here. Of course, of course. Well, I will dive right in. We are on the heels of receiving news of the Q2 and Clex pass rates. And I will say I was surprised to see that they had increased markedly. So Linda, what do you attribute to the increase in the NCLEX pass rates in Q2? Well, there are a few things. I think there are a few factors. The increase in the pass rate, and I think if I looked at 2022, it went from 82%, approximately 82%, up to this time, 94%. So that was quite a jump. You know, the NCSBN also distributed a newsletter and, you know, indicated that the increase in those who passed the exam is definitely a reflection of how well the enhanced testing is. That it's really a better measurement of how safe and competent um, nurses need to practice out there. So it's definitely mirroring clinical practice. So that is one really key point. And Angela, you can jump in at any time, but we also attribute the increased national pass rate to recovering from the downward trend that we saw 
during the COVID-19 um, pandemic. So that is another factor involved. You know, we know that nursing programs are back to in-class and in-person learning that also may have helped the pass rates. Angela, do you want to add to that? Sure. Yeah, I'll add just a couple of points to that. I agree with everything that that Linda said. And, um, you know, we encountered a major shift in nursing education with the pandemic. You know, one day we were doing things the way that we're used to doing things. And the next day we had to shift entirely. And it was incredibly disruptive for everybody involved. Um, and so it really should be no surprise to see that, that we saw a downward trend during the pandemic. NCSBN was really good about monitoring the student learning outcomes um, during that time frame in real time and have since published a study this past April highlighting the impact of COVID-19 on pre-licensure RN programs specifically. And so some of the things that were impacted were student learning and engagement um, and, you know, comparing in-person and hybrid courses to the online learning environments. The in-person and hybrid courses consistently documented higher levels of learning compared to online learning environments. And then students who attended in-person clinical experiences or who participated in face-to-face -face simulations, which some programs were able to maintain that during the pandemic, also reported better clinical learning compared to the virtual simulation environments. So that's just one sort of theme in a number of findings. They also looked at standardized exam measures to include the NCLEX pass rates. They looked at new graduate early career outcomes, and then they also did focus groups on the lived experiences during the pandemic. And so, again, you know, all of those factors are things that we as educators have to consider and sort of giving ourselves a little bit of um, grace when it comes to the downward trend in NCLEX pass rates and, and other factors that were impacted during the pandemic. And it's allowed us to look at what strategies we were able to adopt during the pandemic and retain that were good, and then what strategies may not be so good. And so all of this is happening at the same exact time as the next generation NCLEX is getting ready to launch. And so I just think it's sort of this constellation of things that are sort of working together to now it's contributing to what we're seeing with, with that increase in the NCLEX pass rates. Yeah, the COVID learning loss was quite prolific, right, across all educational sectors. And, and obviously nursing was not immune to that, of course. Um, so I guess it is, it's probably to be expected. You see that leveling out and plateauing. So Angela, you mentioned some of the things that were you adopted during COVID. Were there anything, is there anything within your teaching, you or Linda, that you decided to keep that you adopted because of COVID that you were like, oh, we should definitely implement this now post-pandemic? Yes, that, that's a great question. And one of the things that Linda and I are both really excited to talk a lot about, which is, so during the pandemic, you know, we were really forced to bring clinical learning 
from an in-person hospital or simulation environment to the classroom in an online format. And um, Linda and I had the opportunity to co-teach a medical surgical class where, so, so what we did was we, we flipped it, but not just flipped, we made it almost entirely case scenario based. And I know this is something that we had planned to talk about today. Um, so, but yes, it's what we have the students do is use reverse case studies, which Linda is really um, familiar with and could probably explain, uh, but they, we utilize the reverse case studies guided by the clinical judgment measurement model in the way that they craft those case studies and then have discussions back and forth. Um, that And those things are all tied to the outcomes that they have to meet for that week or that module or what have you. Um, and so that was an entirely new approach that we were moving towards anyway with the advent of NGN and just the recognition of this is a practice-based discipline. And so we need to prepare them in that way in all aspects, not just in clinical. Um, and so that was a really good way we felt to prepare students. And initially they were very surprised because they're not used to that format of learning. And we did get some pushback, but since then, it's been a few months since they've been in our class and they've been in other classes since then. And we've heard from many of them that we wish everybody did this. And now after some time and, and kind of seeing how this translates to the role of the nurse, they were really appreciative of that format. That's excellent. So Linda, tell me a little bit more about these reverse case studies and how you introduced them and tactically how some of our educators could potentially leverage these um, in, in their, their teaching. Oh, absolutely. I'd be happy to share what we've done with those uh, reverse case studies. So we, in our uh, medical surgical nursing course that Angela and I co-taught, um, we used uh, uh, actually a scrambled classroom approach where we would provide a little lecturette and then an activity and that sort of thing. And the activity that, well, there are a few activities we can share with you today, but the reverse case study activity, what we did was based on the content of the week. So for example, if it was um, neurological content area, we um, split our class into five groups because that was based on the number of students in our class, which I think was 30. And so we, we um, broke them up into groups and we provided each group with a different um, scenario, very limited information. Um, and the uh, information was related to neurological, so they would have uh, a few sentences. For example, uh, the patient or um, the client was in um, a motor vehicle accident and uh, sustained a cervical injury or a spinal cord injury or whatever. And um, then we had them with that limited information, we might give the age, uh, develop a case study based on the entire holistic care of that client with that cervical injury or spinal cord injury. And what we did was we incorporated 
all six of the cognitive skills of the clinical judgment measurement model. We developed a guideline for the students to follow based on those six cognitive skills and directed them as to what they needed to do with each of the skills. And then following that, um, we would have them present the cases. So we would provide them with a case, uh, for example, like on a Monday, and then our class would be Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, and they would, uh, each group would present the case study uh, for um, the other groups in the class. And as Angela mentioned, there was some resistance at first because it was a totally different way of learning. Um, however, that course was in the spring, and now we are receiving great feedback from students of how valuable that learning experience was and how they wished every class, you know, used that learning methodologies. So it's really interesting. I think that probably the biggest part uh, for faculty or one of the biggest obstacles for faculty is change. And, you know, that's really difficult to do because, you know, I mean, it, it's a huge switch from standing at a podium and lecturing to students to move to this entirely different format. But it's something that we need to do. We need to do that if we want to have our nurses, our graduates prepared for nursing practice. We need them to think. Uh, we need them to think outside of the box when they have a situation, you know, what could happen to this patient. So they have to look way beyond what they're just seeing with a couple of sentences for the reverse case study. And, you know, it proved to be very valuable for students. I love to hear how you've been incorporating these innovative methodologies. And you're right, change is hard, but very important, particularly as you're moving the, the profession along. So what are some other actionable strategies or innovative methodologies that you both have been incorporating into the classroom in order to prepare students, not just for the next generation and the NCLEX, but then also for actual clinical practice? Yeah. So, you know, sort of building on this over the course of the semester, Linda and I recognized a couple of things. So one is that Collaboration among the student groups was a really important output of those activities, and we were able to observe their clinical thinking, judgment, decision-making processes developing over the course of that semester to the extent that we were so excited about that that we were having um, final case presentations for that course that we ended up inviting our clinical partners to so that they could see, you know, how this process worked with our students. And that ended up being a whole other sort of perspective, line of questioning um, and engagement between the students and our clinical partners. It helped our students to build relationships and network with them as well. So, you know, so, and we were just really proud of what it is that they were doing given the point in the program that they were at and um, just what their abilities were. And so that was just a really good innovative sort of strategy that I think paid off 
for the students and for our partners. And then the other thing that we began to recognize as well was, you know, as educators, we we need to strike more of a balance in terms of the strategies that we use for teaching and for assessment of learning. And we need to think of it in a way, as you're saying, Danielle, that it it does prepare them for practice and for the role of the nurse. And so one of the things that we ended up doing was we started to use collaborative testing as a learning and assessment strategy. And um, we balanced it with having a certain number of exams being independent exams, knowing that, you know, when they take standardized exams and their licensure exam, that that would be an independent activity. But then uh, the other portion of the exams for that course were collaborative. And so we had to set very clear ground rules for the students. The students had to develop their own sort of group process and expectations of how they were going to collaborate during the exam. Students uh, were, were, were informed that they choose the answer that they want to choose, taking into consideration what they want to basically. But, um, but so Linda and I would be proctoring the groups and we would, we would go into the groups and we would observe that discussion about the exam question. And again, it was very similar to the case studies where they were just really, really engaged and and really at a whole nother level of thinking and analysis and, and really critically thinking about the scenario that was presented on the exam question. So collaborative testing was an approach that, you know, somewhat controversial among our team of faculty here Um, But there is evidence to support its use in nursing education and um, definitely some drawbacks, but but definitely more benefits than than not with that approach. Um, So there was that. Plus, we also incorporated next generation NCLEX items on the exams as well, which, you know, is really important at this juncture for any nurse educator to be doing. Angela, that was great. That was a great description. And um, I'll just add that, you know, the collaborative testing really provides the student the opportunity to learn from each other. And, you know, it helps the students to collaborate and think about more than just one aspect of the situation. So it kind of gets them out of that one track train of thought. And when, you know, we think about collaborative testing and when we think about the clinical situation and when the graduate is out there practicing, they're collaborating with other professionals with all aspects of patient care. So, you know, it's really, excuse me, it's really an important um, piece of, of it all as it mirrors clinical practice to to some extent. Did students like the collaborative testing? Yes, they did. Did we see grades go up as a result of the collaborative testing? Yes, we did, um, which we would expect. But as Angela mentioned, even though they collaborated about that particular question and the patient and the scenario, 
they still were allowed to select their own answer on the exam. They did not have to agree with what others were thinking. So they had that, you know, independence with uh, selecting answers and test taking. I love that you saw not only that students, it it was resonant with them, but also that you saw effectiveness with scores going up, which is really crucial. And it actually reminds me of a debrief situation after a, you know, a clinical experience or when you're in the lab. So that makes a lot of sense that they would have those key core learnings from each other as they're discussing these, these scenarios. So I love this collaborative testing approach. All right. So let's shift a little bit um, to any additional um, or best advice, I guess I would say, for instructors that are maybe daunted when they're thinking about leveraging these new teaching strategies. What is some advice that you would give them when they're thinking, oh, I'd love to do this, but I don't know where to start? What is the best advice for those instructors that you might give to them? Well, there are a lot of things. There, there's a lot of things that you know faculty can think about. And again, the changes that faculty, you know, could consider making are difficult to change. Um, You know, we want to get up there in front of the podium. I mean, when I first started teaching, that's what it was all about. Get behind the podium, teach the students, they take all their notes, maybe provide them with PowerPoints as time moved on. Um, You know, I mean, I don't want to give away how long I've been teaching But, you know, um, and I've mentioned this before, I got very excited when we were able to use overhead projectors to teach in a classroom. And (laughs) then when we had computers and could project, I mean, that was really great. You know, faculty need to put more accountability on the students with learning and faculty need to consider and think about their role as the facilitator in learning, um, facilitating the student, but placing the accountability for learning on the student. It's kind of hard to do. Um, One of the things that we've learned we need to do is decrease that content saturation of what we're teaching. You know, we need to focus on what they need to know that's going to ensure, you know, our patient safety um, rather than trying to teach them absolutely everything. Uh, And that's where Angela and I both value our retrieval knowledge. You know, in fact, the, you know, even the NCSBN definition of clinical judgment says they need knowledge in order to make uh, decisions and make clinical judgments. And so that retrieval knowledge is really important for faculty to consider. And there's a lot of different ways that they could ensure that students are using that retrieval knowledge. Angela and I incorporated what we called our, it was our RK-W-TA model, uh, which we adapted from a a person by the name of Ogle, O-G-L-E, who based this model on constructivism theory. And so what this stands for, the RK stands for retrieval knowledge. The W stands for what you want to know. And the T-A stands for your takeaway. So we incorporated this into our uh medical surgical nursing um, course where 
So back to neurological, if the content was neuro, we would ask students, you know, what do you know about um, the neurological system and the neurological client? What do you already know? And that helps them to reflect back on what they've already learned. And that was important to Angela and myself because we knew what students already knew. We're not going to focus on that in our lecturettes. And then we ask them what they want to know. You know, what are you curious about? What do you want to know about neuro? Um, And students would give us a list of what they wanted to know. And Angela and I would focus our lecturettes on that, what they wanted to know. And then, of course, what we thought they needed to know in terms of um, neuro. But, you know, we caught the content way down. We didn't focus on anatomy and physiology because they've already had that. We don't need to go over that again. Um, And then the TA was takeaway. And so after the lecture, after they presented their reverse case studies and did all of that group work, we asked them, what did you take away from all of this? You know, what did you learn? What new thing did you learn? So it gave them some reflection on the whole process. Another thing that we see a lot of value in and and we tend to use this strategy maybe towards the end of a course as they're getting ready for a standardized exam or towards the end of a program where they're getting ready to take the NCLEX but really it's something that could be integrated throughout is what we call enhanced test taking strategies and it it's where you take the students, and you could do this with smaller groups of students. You could do it with a really large, you know, class. Um, we've done it with 70 plus students in the past, and it just works really well. They tend to kind of like group together where they're sitting and work together with this format. Um, but what we do, we we present a case scenario. I actually thought that I might sort of role play that if that's okay just so that people can see how we do this. Absolutely. So bear, bear yes. with me while I present the case. Um, and then Linda, I might ask you to sort of play the student and I'll ask you some questions and you can answer as if you were the student, if you wouldn't mind. So, okay. So we have a 62 year old client visits their primary healthcare provider because of a lump in the upper outer quadrant of the right breast. That's the size of an almond no history or family history of breast cancer. Medical history includes type 2 diabetes, managed with oral metformin, 500 milligrams twice daily. Hypertension, they take lisinopril, 10 milligrams daily. Following a physical exam, the primary healthcare provider orders a mammogram and a referral to a surgeon. The surgeon performs breast biopsy and tissue pathology, which shows invasive ductal carcinoma. Additional tests are ordered, including PET scan, brain MRI, CT scans of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis. Lab studies were also done, for which all the results were normal and within range. The HER2 was positive. Client undergoes simple mastectomy. Plan is to treat with HER2-targeted therapy. Client is discharged two days postoperative with two JP drains placed under skin flaps each attached to small collection chamber. Client will receive home care visits weekly until the drains are removed. 
So now they're at home, they're having their first home care visit, and um, the assessment reveals temperature 99.4 degrees Fahrenheit, heart rate 76, respiration 16, blood pressure 130 over 70, O2 sat 96%, finger stick blood sugar 198, client reports that the pain has increased over the past week, initially 2 out of 10 to 5 out of, up to 5 out of 10. Um, and they also are having tenderness in the breast area on palpation. The nurse notes swelling, redness, cloudy, thick, yellow-green drainage at the incision. And daily drainage from each drain is approximately 20 mLs of bloody drainage. So this is the scenario that we would we would go through with them. And this is like the typical sort of length of a case scenario of a next-generation NCLEX item. But this could all be done in the classroom, you know, projected on the screen. We love to use polling technology as well. That really engages the students. Um, so now we kind of move through a series of questions using that polling technology. So, um, and the other thing that I, I want faculty to sort of recognize is, and Dr. Patricia Benner would be very happy about this, is the fact that this is evolving over time, right? And so, and there's lots of context to this scenario. It is it's not basic. Um, it has a lot of information for them to sift through. Um, so home care nurse reviews the assessment data and is preparing the plan of care. So now what they have to do in the first part is, is specify from four options which potential condition the client is most likely experiencing. Okay, and they've got four options, cording, infection, lymphedema, and tissue necrosis. So this is where they would sort of collaborate and discuss amongst themselves. They'd pick an option using the polling technology. So, Linda, I'm going to ask you to throw out an answer. Courting, infection, lymphedema, or tissue necrosis? I would say infection. Okay. And can you tell me why? Like, what, what's your supporting data for infection? Um, the primary supporting data is the increase in pain and the tenderness at the breast area and the drainage um, from the breast area. And I think that you said her temperature was 99 point um, something. So although that's not really elevated, um, you know, you'd want to be concerned about that and monitor it, I guess. But those would be the primary things that I would think about in terms, you know, of infection. And I think that um, there is no data in that case that I recall that had to do with any courting or any lymphedema. And then the other option was, what was the other option? We had courting, infection, lymphedema, and tissue necrosis. Correct. In the tissue necrosis, there's no data that indicates that there is any um, tissue necrosis. So, you know, looking at all of the data in the clinical scenario and considering what the data um, means is really important. And if you look at what's normal and what's abnormal, that will help to get that student to the correct answer also. And I think, Angela, this is where your, your point about the um, test-taking strategy tables that the student can create when they're looking at a question like this. They might set up all of the data that is 
in that clinical scenario on one uh, on the left side of their notes, and mm-hmm. then uh, set up a column that may say abnormal um, and normal, normal and abnormal, and list or check off what is normal, what is abnormal, mm-hmm. and then perhaps another column with the rationale or the supporting data, mm-hmm. and that will help you know get them through thinking about everything and thinking about everything that is going on with that patient. Yes, exactly. Um, so setting it up in, in the way that Linda described, we we often will recommend, um, okay, get your whiteboards out and put all of your options, which in this case, we're asking about the potential condition, right? So this is hitting on recognize and analyze cues and list them all on the left side. And then, um, and this is where you can get creative. You can do it in a number of different ways, but for sure, you would want to have the supporting data from the case listed on the right side. And then we have lots of opportunity to sort of like, okay, courting, what is courting? Let's talk about what that is. Okay. This is, does anybody know what it is? Yes. No. Okay. Nobody knows. This is axillary web syndrome. It can occur in clients after axillary surgery in this condition, you can have a tight, uncomfortable cord like structure, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and so, So that just really, and so then we go back to that case data, which is up on the screen for them. Is there anything in this case that would support courting? No. Okay. So we're going to leave that where it is and we're going to go through the rest of the options in that fashion, right? So, and this case actually has three parts to it. So what's the potential condition? What two nursing actions would you take and what parameters, what two parameters would you monitor? And so it hits on all six cognitive skills. It's in the format of a bow tie question. Um, and it, this would take probably 30 minutes or so just to go through this one case, but you're really digging in and, and going through it and sort of developing thought process along the way. Yeah, I think that that's an excellent strategy to use in the classroom or in the clinical or even a clinical conference. It gets the students to think. I I think that one of the really important words that faculty should use to students is why. You know, why, why, why? Because that makes them think. It stimulates their thinking. And um, it focuses on rationales and the reason for, because that's a really... Um, important piece in the learning process and with decision-making, you know, for clients. So that's a really important piece also. The book that Angela and I and uh, Donna Ignatavishis wrote that is specifically for NGN preparation, and it's the NGN um, Strategies and Clinical Judgment, a book. And with Angela mentioning the test-taking strategy tables, which we encourage students to do to help them answer questions. There are hundreds of questions which are in the book and on the Evolve site. And I think there's something like in this current edition, 285 practice uh, cases. And we have single cases, bow ties, trends, and several unfolding case studies. Every single question is provided with a test-taking strategy table 
to show the student how to set up a table to help them with answering the question. So that is, you know, um, an excellent book. And I'd really love to contribute some of the pass rate increase <laughs> to um, our resource that, uh, you know, um, Elsevier um, was able to publish uh, for students to have and faculty to have that students to prepare um, themselves for the NGN. And I also want to point out, too, that every resource that Angela and I have authored they all have single uh, case studies, uh, bow ties and trends, and unfolding cases on their Evolve sites. So, you know, we, we've tried to really provide students with, um, you know, the exposure to the types of questions that they're going to see on the NGN. So we have, um, you know, placed a lot of importance on that to get those practice questions, you know, into our products. And Linda, I just want to add real quick to this is that these resources, and in particular, the NGN cases with the enhanced test-taking strategies that do include the tables that we just demonstrated, are best used with faculty guidance and facilitation. Um, you know, the students, as long as they're really reading and looking closely at it, can learn a lot from those on their own. Um, but if they're incorporated into the classroom or in clinical, as you mentioned, that is really where they come to life. And um, that's where we would recommend they're, they're used in that fashion. Yes, that's an excellent po uh, point. And I completely agree with that. I love that advice in terms of ensuring that instructors have a steady hand to to guide the, the students along with just with not only taking the questions, but also how to to apply. So one of the questions, one of the follow up questions to that, because I think definitely, Linda, you can attribute successful outcomes to to the resources that you and Angela and team have provided. Um, they're fantastic resources, and I know students as well as instructors benefit from them greatly. So what would you say is kind of, you, if you could sum up in a few words, what is the methodology that you kind of like the foundation and the backbone of what you what you want to infuse in your in your NCLEX preparatory texts and titles? Um, I think you alluded to it a little bit, but if you wanted to expound more, that would be excellent. Yeah, Angela um, and I really believe in a, you know, holistic approach to um, learning and test taking. And so, you know, there, there's the academics, but there's also the non-academics. And so they really need to prepare themselves non-academically, um, you know, good food and exercise and fun and that whole entire balance is really important. And then their um, positiveness, their belief in their, in their selves, you know, their self-efficacy, their self-confidence, um, that is going to help tremendously to lead them to um, success. From the academic standpoint, a few things. First of all, the student needs to be introduced to the NCLEX exam the moment that they enter the nursing program. And faculty need to ensure that they realize that this is a really important exam and you need to start preparing for it now. The resources that Angela and I have created for students are designed 
to be used the moment that they enter the nursing program. So they can use these resources to learn while they're in their specific nursing courses. And at the same time, they are preparing for the NCLEX. Practice questions we really value and believe that the more practice questions a student can do, the better prepared they will be for any testing experience, including the NCLEX. So exposure to multiple choice, all of the alternate item formats, and the NGN question types, uh, single uh, case studies, bow tie trends, and unfolding case studies. Just practice, practice, practice because they're going to learn a lot as they're moving along and they're going to be very well prepared for clinical practice as a nurse and for their testing experiences. Linda and I stay attuned to student and and faculty pain points when it comes to preparing to become a nurse. And um, those are some of the things that we collaborate on and make decisions on including in the resources as features that are geared towards helping them to address those pain points. So a quick example of that would be Linda and I, a couple editions back for one of our, for our comprehensive RN book, we included health problem codes for each question, which would allow the students to filter for practice questions based not just on the body system, but on the specific health problem. So for example, prior to that, they'd be able to get respiratory system questions, but now they're able to go a step further and get questions specific to, let's say, COPD, for example, so that they can target their studying more specifically when they're preparing for an exam on that. And we've done the same with pharmacology, where we've coded down to the classifications for the medications so that the students can filter that way. So those are two examples of things that Linda and I do and pay attention to in terms of who's utilizing these resources to improve it to make it better for them. I love that. That is such fantastic Um insight into your process and kind of the methodology, like you said, Linda, the holistic approach to not only getting through your nursing education, but becoming a a practicing nurse at the end of the day. So that's fantastic. So what's next? What is next for the NCLEX? What is next for you both in terms of, you know, keeping your, like you said, Angela, your finger on the pulse of what's going on? What do you perceive as next for the NCLEX? Are they going to continue to add additional item types from your perspective? I know nobody has a crystal ball. And then also what's next for, you know, nursing practice? What do you anticipate as kind of the the next phase or evolution? Well, I would like to just say that, you know, the NCSBN has done an incredible, incredible, amazing job um, at looking at everything. Um, They have done such robust research and, you know, to make this examination, one that tests clinical judgment, decision-making, and what's really happening out there. And we also need to credit those faculty who created these case studies with the NCSBN for this examination. 
because they have created cases, I am sure. We don't know what they are because we don't get to see anything that is on the NCLEX, of course. But they, you know, I am certain have created cases that um, mirror clinical practice, that um, are situations that we see out there, common situations, things that we commonly encounter, decisions that we need to make, clinical judgments that we need to make. And, you know, we have um, limited feedback from students who have taken the NGN, but we do have some feedback. And what we have been told is that they really liked these questions. They were challenging. They made them think critically. And there were situations that they've seen in clinical as a nursing student. So it is real world. Um, So I just wanted to bring all of those points up. As far as what's going to happen next with the NGN, I think based on their research, their follow-up research, finding that these questions are doing what they want them to do, they're going to be adding more questions um, in that format with case studies. That's what, you know, we are thinking. And we also think that we are going to see more of the alternate item formats and we'll still see the multiple choice. But I think, and Angela also thinks this, that they will be less and less as time moves on. Uh, yes. So all of that with regard to the NCLEX, I think, is is likely to happen. I, I think the success so far on the new format item types suggests that the NCSBN will at least be looking at what might this look like to have these item types make up more of the exam. I think they were starting small to get a sense of how this is going to look. And so I I expect they'll continue to monitor this over time and continue to make small changes over time as long as it's going well. And then as far as what we're seeing in the practice environment that will inform the licensure exam and inform nursing curriculum is we are seeing new graduate nurses within that first year of practice going into roles that we typically wouldn't see them going into. And, you know, they're being sought out for positions in management, case management, um, primary care settings. So these are areas that we, specialty settings, these are areas we typically would not see new graduate nurses in. And so I would expect that with future practice analyses that we're gonna, we might see some shift in the client needs category percentages based on that. That's fantastic insight, really. And we've heard the same thing um, from our students anecdotally as well, that they do like these new, new case types because they are indicative 
more indicative, right, of what they're going to see in clinical practice. So I think that it's a safe bet to say that we're going to see increases in those um, students like them, and they're obviously a better indicator of, you know, success in in practice. So that's really fantastic insight. So just to leave our audience with any final advice from your perspective in terms of helping students prepare for the NCLEX or for clinical practice, is there anything else, Linda, Angela, you would like to, to leave our audience with today? We've, you know, shared so much with everything we have done. Think that faculty, you know, should consider. I think that, and I'm sure Angela will agree that they need to, um, as we mentioned, start with beginning nursing students, get them introduced to the NCLEX, get them introduced to the NCSBN clinical judgment measurement model, get them working on scenarios where they can use the six cognitive skills depending on the level in the course that they are in and, you know, build from that as they're moving along. Always focus on that retrieval knowledge, get students to pull that in to help them with thinking about, about everything. Um, you know, one of the points that Angela and I have always made, you know, with our traditional multiple choice questions, we have always trained students to look at what's there and that's it, and not to read into the question with our NGN questions, this is very different because they have to look at everything. They can't just look at what's in front of them. They need to think about, well, what can happen with this person with this, this, this health problem? Um, so they need to look way beyond what is in the question. And that is one of the reasons why we have added these enhanced test-taking strategies because, um, you know, they need to look beyond all of that than, you know, just what is in front of them. They need to look, um, you know, beyond and uh, think about everything in order to make the right decisions and to use those clinical judgment skills. And change. Change is really important. Uh, we need to make the changes in the classrooms in terms of our teaching, put more accountability on the student, use a lot of learning activities uh, to get them uh, to think, to challenge them, um, to get them to think critically and make those decisions. Anything and I like to use pilots, you know, so... It it would it seems overwhelming to hear all of the ideas that we have introduced, but we've done this over time, and um, you know we like to make a change, sort of pilot it, see how it goes, refine it, improve it for the next time around, and then we move on to the next thing that we're going to change, and so that makes it manageable, makes it worthwhile, makes it meaningful for the students and makes it a good and effective strategy to use. So just kind of start small. And then once you get your momentum building, um, you'll feel more comfortable with making those kinds of changes in the classroom. You'll get very excited and motivated by it, I think. So, but, you know, no more putting it off. It's time to move forward um, and just to take little baby steps towards that future. 
That's really excellent advice. And this whole discussion has been so enlightening and I know it's going to be so beneficial um, for our audiences to, to listen to your expertise, your thought leadership. And I really, really appreciate you both uh, taking some time to chat with us today. It's been a pleasure as always um, talking with Linda and Angela Silvestri. Thanks so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for having us, Danielle. It was great to be here. Absolutely. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Nursing Education Insights Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the lively discussion. Stay tuned for the next episode featuring the Osmosis Nursing Team at Elsevier. For resources related to this episode and more, go to myevolve.us slash podcast. Thank mm-hmm. you.